0: FM to get started. Spider-Man. Spider-Man does whatever a spider can. We all love him. That's why we're here. And we have a special guest today on Marvel TV Weekly to talk about his new book. Matt Singer, author of Marvel Spider-Man from Amazing to Spectacular. Marvel TV Weekly starts now.
1: I'm Maria Menunos, and you're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the
0: buzz begin. Oh, yes, indeed. Welcome back to Marvel TV Weekly. It's always great to have a chance to spend a whole show talking about one of my favorite topics, Spider-Man. And we are joined via Skype by Matt Singer, who has a new book called Marvel's Spider-Man. From Amazing to Spectacular, the definitive comic art collection. Matt, thank you so much for uh, taking some time to be with us today.
1: Oh, my pleasure. How's it going? How do I look? Do I look good?
0: You know I'm going to have to I'll have to defer to my producer in the booth Jeff cuz I actually don't see you but I oh, feel you can't see me. I well, feel like I'll yeah tell
1: you, I I look
0: fantastic. Yeah. Look, I've seen photos so I'm sure you look great. You know, what's why is now going to be any different. Um where I want to start with this is I want to start talking about Spidey himself and specifically your relationship with the character of Spider-Man. When and where do you first or at least do you remember first encountering Spider-Man?
1: Well, I don't remember it very well now, but supposedly my first encounter with Spider-Man was as a character on The Electric Company, the classic children's TV show where Spider-Man used to be a – Recurring character, he would show up, and he had his own segment. Yes, the, the, spi-
0: the Spidey super stories, which uh, some of them would feature Morgan Freeman. And it's funny yeah. that you say that, because uh, that answer is often people of a certain age. Uh, I'm 43, <laughs> and that's when I first discovered Spider-Man was on The Electric Company. I fell in love with the character on Spider-Man and his amazing friends, but that was definitely when I first saw him. So it's very funny that, uh, you know, we're basically first seeing him at the same experience.
1: Right. Yeah, that was uh, we're I guess, of of a certain age, as you put it. (laughs) Yeah. So that was that was that was where I first uh, encountered him and um, yeah, was obsessed with him, even as a one, two year old, whatever it was, my parents joke. That I, that Spider Man was one of my very first words as a as a kid because I was so into him on that show, not knowing anything about who he really was, where he came from, what the character was even about. Just enjoying those uh, appearances on the Electric Company, yeah. and so that was that was it. And then certainly watching those cartoons like uh, Spider Man and His Amazing Friends, which you mentioned, was yeah. another big one. And then through there, discovering the comics after that, and and that was it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was sort of the same thing for me. I mean, I mostly knew superheroes. You know, I was fairly young. I saw the the first Richard Donner Superman, but most of the superheroes I knew, it was from Saturday morning TV. So I liked the Super Friends. I liked Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends. And yeah, I guess if it had friends in the title, it was age appropriate for me. Uh, but yeah, I think that uh, that show, it, it's it's clearly from a much gentler time. Spider-Man is amazing friend because my son Felix is four. And as much as I want to have him like all the stuff I liked as a kid, I know that it's sort of a very gradual process and you have to kind of put your toe in the water a little bit. So we've watched a couple episodes of Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And, you know, maybe... Maybe it it hasn't held up as well from an adult perspective, but watching it with my son, you know, I think that it's kind of the the perfect foray into the character is maybe some of the the older shows. And they're all going to be on Disney Plus, not not that we're sponsored by Disney Plus, but all of those older shows are going to be out there. So people have access to them again, which is I think is great. Um, you said you found your way to the comics. Uh, what are some of your earliest memories of Spider-Man in comic book form? You know, was it, Oh, Hey, I know him from TV. I want this story or, or how did you find your way to comics?
1: Uh, well, I don't have a specific, uh, answer in terms of like, oh, it was this storyline or this issue that I first remember reading. I mean, when I got a little older then I I could tell you like where it sort of, when I became obsessed, the ones that I remember when, from a kid was just being at the, you know, like at the grocery store with my mother. And, uh, you know, one of those deals where, well, if you're good, you can get a comic book. And so I would, uh, behave well. Uh, and then just specifically to get the comic book, and um, would would usually pick Spider-Man. That was yeah. that was always my favorite. And there's one that I remember. I don't know the number off the top of my head, but there's one that I remember that doing the research for the book was fun to go back and reread because I remember the cover vividly from from childhood. And it was it's an issue of Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, and it has uh, Spider-Man swinging and encountering this like giant monolithic like bearded man in robes he almost looks like a like a god or a deity of some kind and it says like spider-man encounters the hermit or something like that then you read the story it's this amazing beautiful cover yeah very dramatic and then you read the story and you know and you expect from the cover well he's gonna meet some weird crazy godlike figure who has these incredible powers and it's mostly about this like Sad, nebbishy guy who like dropped out of society and became like an actual hermit. It's nothing at all. Like the cover whatsoever. There's so no giant hermits. It, it's basically, like
0: it's basically uh Spider-Man meets a homeless man. Is is that essentially what it is?
1: I mean, basically, yes. It's, it's not that far <laughs> off from that. Uh, it's a, actually a really good issue, but the connection between the cover and the art inside is tenuous. At best. Yeah. But for some reason, when I was doing uh, the research for the book and looking back at sort of that era of Spider-Man, that was I, one that I like vividly, it was like, uh.
0: Flashbacks. I'm, I'm really good with issue numbers of amazing Spider-Man, but uh, I have to admit I did cheat and look this one up, but I, I did remember that I had it. It's Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man number 97. And yes, there it is Enter the, Hermit. Uh, it's, Enter the Hermit. Enter the Hermit. And then that's the interesting thing too, because the first book that I got was uh, Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man. It was number 89 with this character Spot, who is just a ridiculous character because, you know, he throws the spot up and he can sort of teleport around. And he's been used for comedic value in the years since, and I I remember also I came in I think it's around the same month Amazing Spider Man it was two fifty four it was like right after he got the black suit so it's all like black suited Spider Man really for me although he switched back pretty quickly and uh you know I was about seven or so when I started reading uh, regularly and uh, these were these were really memorable stories yeah so I I have uh, looked at the PDF of your book and it's. Even just on the computer screen, it's beautiful because, of course, you have the artwork that's from the, the covers and the interiors of the stories and everything. Uh, I, you know, This is the sort of book where if you were going to do a, a history, I feel like you would need to officially partner with Marvel and be able to license all of that. So how does the idea come about? Like, I want to write a book about Spider-Man and then working with Marvel so closely that you know you have the access to what's seemingly everything.
1: Right, so uh, well, I would I would say that I, I would have wanted to have written a book about Spider-Man pretty much since those <laughs> those uh, early super days stories. we were talking yeah. about. I can't really say that this was my idea per se. Uh, the the publisher of the book, Inside Editions, they have put out a series of books with Marvel, working with Marvel, that are kind of, they're very much like mine. Mine is sort of just the latest installment in this series where they give you kind of the history of a specific character, um, and they've done some really good ones. They actually, uh, you know, they gave me some as I was preparing to write this one so I could kind of get a feel for what they were going for, and they've done a bunch, including Black Panther, Guardians of the Galaxy, Black Widow. I'm sure there's others I'm forgetting. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's all done with Marvel and um everything has to be sort of approved by Marvel, but, uh, actually they, they were very, um, you know, there was, that was, that was not an issue at all actually went really, really well. And, uh, in terms of getting specific things in it, I mean, um, I worked with my editor obviously, but it's, it's, uh, it's really just what uh, a lifetime of Spider-Man nerdery gets you when you go, okay, how do I condense all of that Spider-Man history into a single book? Um, and this is sort of what I came up with. And, uh, yeah, it, it, what writing, it was the, almost the easy part. It was, it was winnowing it down and figuring out exactly how to frame it and to squeeze it into one, not especially big book. Uh, that was sort of the trickiest part really.
0: Yeah. I mean, I have one of those, uh, coffee table books about sort of, it's like a history of Marvel that only really covers the, not even the whole sixties, you know, and it's, I don't know, it's like two phone books. Not that people remember phone books anymore at this point, but you know, it's it's just this, it's it's a great coffee table book, but I don't have a coffee table. So I'm like, it just, right. I don't know where to put it. I would love to have it on display. But uh, yeah, so, uh, and obviously for those of you uh, just joining us, the book that we are speaking about, it's called Marvel Spider-Man from Amazing to Spectacular. Our guest is the author, Matt Singer. Uh, I wanted to uh, sort of talk about, you know, as you look at the big picture and you kind of, winnow it down. Uh, we can, t- you know, there's going to be some some things that obviously are going to be included. Was there anything about Spider-Man? Maybe it's just a, a random villain or a storyline. Like I would have loved to have fit that in, but we need to, you know, almost stick to the greatest hits for the most part. Was there anything that you would have loved to have included that there just wasn't the room for?
1: Uh, definitely, there was many many issues that, that uh, I couldn't include. I tried my best to include as you know as much of Both the important, you know, the classics, the most famous, the most iconic issues. But you also want to include – you want to try to include stuff that's maybe a little less famous because you want people, you know, like you or I who sort of love Spider-Man and know Spider-Man really well to also maybe, you know, learn some things as well or find things that they forgot about, haven't read, you know, that sort of stuff. But even um, as big as the book is and as much as it covers, there are are tons of things that you can't put in there or even things that like – you include, but then you wish you could like spend 20 pages on and you only have five pages right. or 10 pages or whatever it is, you know, like just rereading all of the, um, you know, all of the Spider-Man for the book, sort of doing the research, you know, finding things that you remembered, oh, those were pretty good. And then going, oh, actually these are great. Like the yeah. Tom DeFalco and Ron friends run of amazing Spider-Man, which is around when you were talking about yeah. first discovering it. Cause they were the ones doing all the issues where he first got the black, Costume,
0: yeah. The, those the, those the, issues are great. Yeah, the tail end of Roger Stern, the transition to Ronda. Uh, sorry, to Tom DeFalco, and you have Ron's, Ron Friends. To me, that's still sort of my favorite style of Spider-Man. Obviously, uh, you know, I was, what, like middle school, high school age when Todd McFarlane came on board, and that style was all very exciting. And I think visually, Todd McFarlane as an artist, I still think it looks really cool. I think it was all of the other people who were like, well, now why don't you try to draw like Todd McFarlane as well and see how that helps? (laughs) I think his style on Spider-Man, it was just like, and it was almost like, how is this book so different? And you know, uh, at that point it was uh David Michelini. I, I was I, I say all the names wrong. I I was talking to uh I was doing an interview with Chris Claremont once about it and I had to explain. I'm like, I I sounded out how to pronounce these in my head when I was like eight or nine. So, you know, you look at like Bill Sinkevich and you're like, Yeah, Bill Sinkewicks. You know, you don't right. know. And uh it, so uh, to to that end, we'll sort of get back to what you were talking about. I saw that you have a forward from uh, J.M. DeMattis, but I'm probably saying his name wrong, uh, but he wrote. I think
1: I think you've got it right. Wow. But I, I, I've had this issue doing interviews where yeah. I'm people are asking me questions and I'm talking about creators and I'm the same way. It's like, yeah, y- you know, we we grew up in uh, like a pre podcast era, pre YouTube interview era where these people were just names. You know, they were they were I didn't even know what they looked like. And so, yeah, you're trying to your best to, yeah. David Michelin, right. Yeah. Michelin, David Michelin. I I, I used to say, I
0: I read that as Michelin and, you know, like the Michelin man in the nineties. And then you hear it said Michelin and you're like, Oh, uh, okay. I was just, I was just clearly way off. But, uh, James Mattis, who did to me, which is one of the greatest Spider-Man stories, which they ran through the three books for, I guess it was three months, no, two months. It was Craven's last hunt. Uh, so he wrote it, Mike Zek drew it, and it went through Amazing, Spectacular, and Web of Spider-Man over the course of a few months. And it's still the story that I don't think we're quite at a place where it should be a movie. It's just I eventually want it to be a movie. And he wrote the forward. Uh, so how exactly did that come about? I know you talk to a lot of creators for the books, uh, for the, for this book, but how did uh, he become the one that wrote the forward to the book?
1: Uh, we asked him and he was nice enough to do it. That's, a, uh, we, that's we, the best I way. Had, I, yeah. Yeah. I had interviewed, I wish there was some very dramatic. No, Spider-Man look, I, I, I mentioned story, a
0: but, moment ago, I was talking to Chris Claremont and somebody was like, well, how did you interview him? I was like, I, I wrote, I wrote an email to the address on his website and the person who handles I got, it said yes. interview yeah.
1: for the book. And he, <laughs> and I mean, I will say, you know, um, I, when he wrote, he, I did his uh, interview with him over, over email and sure. his, his answers like were so like, I, I, you, I, I wanted, and this was not unique to him either it's like I just wanted to like reprint the entire thing because it was so you could see he had spent so much time it was so thoughtful and yeah. well written and um so it was sort of a no-brainer to have him because you could tell he would he would do a fabulous job uh and he did but um yeah he he uh he, he he's interviewed in the book and there is a whole um a sidebar on craven's uh, last hunt sure uh, that's an amazing storyline that was a, that was an example of like you know you were asking like wh- wh- what was stuff you didn't uh, or what was the stuff you couldn't figure out – you couldn't fit in. And that was a case where I had written the chapter that sort of covers that storyline, and I I, I couldn't I, – I fit it in, but it was kind of awkward, and, and, and it, I didn't give it – I felt like it needed more space. And so when you see the book, you'll see it actually has like a whole um, sidebar. We actually – um, took it out of the chapter and I expanded it and we gave it its own little two-page spread in the book and there's a few examples throughout the book of those because what happened was as I was writing I, I said to my editors like there's just so much stuff that I can't fit in and I wish I, I, I would love to find a way to include more things and could we maybe just throw in some sidebars which I had seen in one of yeah. the other books that they had published so that was what um, we did and there's one for. Craven's Last Hunt. There's one where um, there's one about Civil War and the the famous uh, stuff about Peter Parker revealing his secret identity. There's one on Untold Tales of Spider-Man. There's one with uh, Alex Ross talking about how he redesigned the Spider-Man costume for the um, run recently where he was doing all the covers and he redesigned um, the costume. So there's a bunch of those throughout the book as well which are uh, really cool.
0: Yeah. I mean, and when you have a character that, you know, he's getting close to 60 years, I think it's 57 years since we've uh, first had Spider-Man, obviously there's a lot to to delve in, but I think that for a lot of people, it's like, what is the era where you find the character? And you referenced, you know, the, it's the tail end of Roger Stern over to Tom DeFalco and just the, just the beautiful, like classic style of Ron friends. That's what I was saying earlier. And, I, I you know just some of those stories it was it, it was great because it's really the period before they started trying to figure out well how many times a year can we have venom and what way can we spin off Venom to be some similar characters like Carnage? And the first couple times it happened, it was alright, but I, then, you know, and this was just the industry in general in the 90s. This is not solely Spider-Man, and it's not solely Marvel Comics. It was just like, you know, too many big crossover events, and I, it just something about the, the book I kind of lost interest. You know, maybe it was that's when I went into college, but I, I, honestly, I, I read X-Men for years after I read Spider-Man, so there was just something that... In this era, right up until the early 90s, you know, from the mid 80s to early 90s, he had, he had gotten older. He was in grad school. This is before they did any of the reboots and, you know, some of the the storytelling that uh, I won't put you on the spot about, but just stuff that I can't believe was published, you know, like let's make a deal with Mephisto so that Aunt May's alive, but you never were married to Mary Jane. And it's all stuff I heard about. And I was like, oh, OK, so these books aren't for me anymore. They're just making them for somebody else. They want a younger audience to find them. But I also was recently rereading because I wanted to read the original Hobgoblin storyline from Amazing 238. And I was reading this and simultaneously trying to pick up some new Marvel comics. And And it, new Marvel comics are very entertaining, but it's like, oh yeah, but for me, this era is really it's great and when I was reading it they were also Marvel tales the reprint book had started at amazing fantasy 15 so I was also at the same time every month getting to read the earliest stories so you know because back then like we were talking about you couldn't there was no Marvel unlimited there there was no way that if if you wanted to read you know amazing spider-man number 50 you were going to have to try and find some money to go buy it as a back issue. You know, there was no access to any of this stuff. So it's, it's great that now we can just, you know, with a click of a button, read these comics and then also have a great book like yours. Um, When you said you reread it, did you, what did you reread? Did you reread like all of amazing? What, what did you actually choose to to reread as you were doing this book?
1: Um, I, I, Sort of picked areas – well, I I started from the very beginning. I read pretty much everything uh, or reread, you know, pretty much everything from like 1 to like 150-ish. Yeah. Um, And then it was more, you know, doing reading some of the books that I had never read because there certainly were some Spider-Man comics that I had never read. Rereading stuff that seemed important. um, Trying to hit every era, trying to hit every creator – trying to get a good sense of like, okay, this was Roger Stern. This was Jerry Conway. You know, this was what's – what you can get a good sense of uh, uh, Mark Bagley and David McElhinney. I mean, those were the ones that I really loved when I was a teenager. Yeah. Um, right up and through, you know, uh, Straczynski and then going in through the brand-new day stuff. Just trying to like – literally, as I mean, as much as I could on my uh, very tight deadline, trying to cram in as much as I could – and just get, you know, like as broad a range as I could too, so that the book really reflects everything. And it isn't just like amazing Spider-Man, even though that's generally the book where, you know, the most important storylines would take yeah. place. Um, and the one that I was, you know, already the most familiar with. Um, so trying to also read a lot of, I read a lot of spectacular Spider-Man issues that I hadn't read before. And there's a lot of great, stories in there and yeah i mean peter
0: peter david wrote uh spectacular spider-man for a while and uh i i literally almost said those issues are spectacular and that is not what i intended i you know to to you know make the the pun like that but yeah that that and it was sort of like a a, i remember a multi-part like death of gene de wolf storyline that they had you know it was it was a de- it was definitely a different feel between spectacular and amazing and of course before there was web of spider-man there was marvel team up which i i always liked because it was like well this week he's going to you know he's going to be with the x-men and you know next month he's hanging out with daredevil i always liked the idea of an ongoing story where you know new york was a new york's a big city but there's a lot of superheroes running around in there you'd think you'd run into them more often
1: Yep, yep, and Marvel Team-Up is definitely uh, covered there in the book. I mean, one of the things that surprised me rereading all those comics, too, was, I mean, I always loved Spider-Man, the character, and sure. I had favorite storylines and everything. But there were, I, I, I don't know, I, maybe if I reread all of Hulk and all of the Avengers and all of Iron Man, I would find the same thing. But I don't know, I just found that there were so many good issues and stories, even some of the smaller ones, even the ones that are less famous, you know, the, the, the famous stories like a Craven's last sure, hunt yeah. or, you know, they're, they're like justifiably famous, but you know, even some of the just random issues by like Jerry Conway and, and Ross Andrew or, or Roger Stern or Tom DeFalco, it's like the, there were just individual issues where I was like, this is just a satisfying, beautiful, like little 22 page, story and it has pathos and romance and adventure and there's a moral and there's a lesson and Peter Parker is so interesting and you can really relate to his plight you know even though it's he's this crazy character who can climb on walls and something and uh, swing on webs that there's just something so mm-hmm. elemental about him and relatable about him and uh I just was like it was like the least painful research you can imagine for writing a book it was <laughs> it was so much I, I, it was just so much fun to be like ah. Uh, You know, uh, I gotta go read more Spider Man comics tonight. Okay, (laughs) see you later, wife and kids. I gotta go, I gotta, this is my job. I gotta go read Spider Man comics. Sorry.
0: Daddy's working when it's like, wait, it it, it, it looks like what I'm doing when I'm playing. Yeah. Uh, You know, you talked about Peter Parker, and the the fact of the matter is, Spider Man as the character in the suit is a great character because, you know, he's very lighthearted. He doesn't take things seriously regardless of the situation he's in. But, Peter Parker was just this anomaly in terms of secret identities because, you know, even, you know, obviously you're, you're, you're Bruce Wayne, you're Tony Stark, you're a millionaire. Even when you're the X-Men, well, you live in a mansion. You know, and here's here's Peter Parker, who, you know, Aunt May's in the hospital and he's like, well, I don't have to pay for these bills. And he's like, I don't later. He's like, I don't have to pay my rent. And, you know, he just has like the real world problems. And I just oh, I think that must be what made him so relatable. But I also think that that world was populated by such great characters like Aunt May. And, you know, you have the tragedy of Uncle Ben and Gwen Stacy but then perfect larger-than-life characters like J. Jonah Jameson. Talk a little bit about sort of following some of the supporting cast as you you know, tell his story on the whole, like people who stand out as being important, maybe like a Robbie Robertson or someone that maybe you didn't think of right away, and then you're like, oh yeah, this is actually a really important figure in Peter's life.
1: Wow, there. yeah, there are so many of them because the character has been around for 57 years. <laughs> right. To me, the most interesting thing was kind of seeing not just the characters grow and evolve, but how different some of them are depending on who's writing them. You know, like a character like an Aunt May, you know, used to be depicted as like she was like 90 or something and like constantly at death's door and and so ill. And then, you know, just like I I loved reading the Aunt May and J. Michael Strasinski's run. Like she's like almost like a totally different character in terms of, you know, and he said this to me when I interviewed him. It was like he always thought it was absurd to treat Aunt May as this, like, frail, you know, uh, old biddy kind of character yeah. who's, and who's so sort of not just, like, frail, but, like, emotionally fragile, like, um, that, you know, Peter is so worried to tell her or for her to find out that he's Spider-Man cause it could kill her. She couldn't handle it. And, um, I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that one of the things he did in his run was have Aunt May find out and, and, and deal with
0: it. And that was J. Michael Straczynski who did that. Cause that was, right. I think that was issue 400. And I remember I wasn't reading the book anymore, but I remember being in a supermarket. I'm like, oh, Spider-Man 400. I wanted to read it. And I was like, oh, yeah, well, because the MA dies in that, if I recall, and on her deathbed, she's like, I always knew you were Spider-Man. And then, and then it's like, I, I don't know how old I was at that point. I was probably, you know, or late teens, early twenties. And I was like, what? No, no, she did it. And I was like angry. But then, you know, later you think about how different, you know, how interesting it can be where just different creators have such a different interpretation of them you know when you talk about a guy like chris claremont who wrote x-men for 17 years or dan Slott, who i don't even know the the total number of issues he did of of, of spider-man but i mean it's was it like 15 years is that how long dan Slott was around for spidey or is it uh, not quite that long
1: it's not quite that long yeah. but it's in the neighborhood na- it's like yeah. a little over 10 years it's I more think. than a decade that- yeah yeah, the 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 Amazing Spider-Man 400 you're mentioning that was J.M. uh Oh, okay. that was during the the Clone Saga, and Aunt May did find out then that yeah. Spider-Man was uh, was Peter Parker and Spider-Man were the same person. But that was a uh, that was that they. That's not up,
0: the same thing. Okay, not I the see. same thing. Yeah, All that's right. when
1: they they ended up uh, retconning that whole thing. Yeah, they- <laughs> uh, but. The, the storylines I was talking about were a little bit later in okay. the 2000s with, yeah, with J. Michael Straczynski, and he he wrote a really fascinating and very sort of like tough Aunt May, and that was what he said to me. He was like, you know, this is a woman uh, who survived the death of her husband and raised this teenager who isn't even her son or her own. She's got to be a pretty tough lady. She should yeah. be able to handle this stuff, and – you see that reflected in his comics. And so that was one of the things that I really enjoyed, sort of revisiting those issues and also getting to hear from the creators when I interviewed them for the book was getting that perspective yeah. and seeing how they saw the characters and then finding that reflected in their work was, was pretty cool.
0: Right, and I think you, you'll you see that sort of on, on the screen because you have the different representations of Aunt May. The Sam Raimi movies, it was the more classic, you know, Stan and Steve Ditko era Aunt May. But, you know, and of course now we have Marissa Tomé, but in between you had Sally Field where it was sort of like it kind of split the difference you know where it's like well she's not she's not that old you know she's not she's not a hundred you know And and then when you have it be Marissa Tomei it's such a different it's a different feel for the character and I think it's interesting to have those different takes you know obviously in the same way in the comics and it's always interesting I don't know if you ran into this when you if you talked to creators who wrote at a certain point somebody else wrote and then they came back I find that they sometimes have a tendency to undo stuff that happened while they were away. And I don't know if that happened much with Spidey, but I know that that... Is specifically to refer back to Chris Claremont, I know that when he came back to X Men, they had they had uh, made Kitty Pride much older, and he didn't like that. So then she became young again. You know, so that's just mm-hmm. the one example that I know. Was, did is was there generally like a camaraderie between the different uh, different runs, or were some people very a little bit more protective about the way that they approached the character versus to other versus others?
1: Uh, I think it kind of varies. I, I it, it did seem. What what did seem universal was the way that everyone revered sort of the the original vision of, of Spider Man. And maybe that's why even though the character changes, he you know, you can draw a straight line from nineteen sixty two to twenty nineteen and the the character hasn't really changed that much. The core right. of who he is, is still very similar. And I think that's because uh, one, the the character that Stanley and Steve did co made was so perfect and the world around him was so interesting and fun that um, you know, the, the the character just has resonated with so many people that um, when people kind of take on the book, new artists, um, it, it seems more like they want to honor that and maybe, yeah. you know, put their spin on it. But I, I you don't really hear people saying, oh, you know, I never really liked Spider-Man, so I thought I would come <laughs> on the book and do something really different. Yeah. What you hear more is that people talk in reverent tones, understandably, about, you know, like the first – you know 50 to 75 issues you know Lee and Ditko and Romita and just how much those those issues meant to them and and how obsessed they were with the character and then yeah. saying you know they wanted to you know like they wanted to honor that by both kind of finding the, the things that they they loved in the comic then and then instead of just rehashing cuz nobody wants that finding ways to kind of bring new things to the book while while still capturing the spirit keeping the same you know values and ideas and just finding new ways um, uh, to do that. Or in the case of something like an ultimate Spider-Man, finding ways to update uh, the material so that the the things that are timeless and universal about it can be kept in it while you also kind of update the fashion, the costumes, the pop culture references, all those sorts of things. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you don't really see too many radical changes. I mean, Aunt May is a good example that like we yeah. were talking about, a character that has changed a lot. You know, she almost like, even at, you mentioned the movies, but even in the comics, she has almost kind of Benjamin Buttoned a little bit where she started <laughs> older yeah. and she's getting, she's been getting, she's edging younger. She's not quite as, she's not like Marissa Tomei young in the comics, but she definitely has a, uh, she's more vibrant, let's say, uh, than yeah. she maybe was originally. But yeah, I think it's, it. it, it you don't see too many uh, huge examples of changes, kind of like you were saying with Chris, Chris Claremont and the X Men. There's a character. I mean, maybe if uh, you know Stan Lee had been around to come back and and write the character again, he might have done yeah. something more drastic. Well, yeah, you know, and right, as, he wrote the newspaper. I, I was just a- going to
0: mention that. Yeah, Stan continued to do the newspaper strip, and and he I and have, Mary Jane stayed married, and, and instead of being right. undone like that, because he's just like that's the story he wanted to tell, and sure. uh, yeah. Um, One person in particular that I want to talk about is Jerry Conway, because when he wrote the book, I've thought about this often, is in the course of one calendar year, you have uh, Amazing Spider-Man 121, Gwen Stacy dies 122, uh, Norman Osborn slash Green Goblin dies. And a little later that year, 129, he introduced the Punisher. And so in the course of a year, you have just this like massive, iconic, you know, these things happen in his life. And I think if you're, if you're a Spider-Man nerd, you know his name, but if you're not, you kind of know Stan and then maybe not even that many people, you know, maybe if you read the book later, you know, you'll know a Todd McFarlane or something, but talk a little bit about his run and just why, I don't know, did he feel like he had a license to do whatever he wanted? Was there a conscious effort to kind of make waves in Peter's life? Uh, what did he say about his time on the book?
1: Uh, there was definitely a conscious effort to make waves in Spider-Man's life. He did say that the death of Gwen Stacy kind of grew out of a feeling of sort of everyone who was involved in the book at that time, which included him and John Romita was still there. He, he was doing layouts. He wasn't drawing individual issues as much. Gil Kane was doing some of the, um, the, the illustrating at that time. And Roy Thomas was the editor of the book. And they all kind of felt that maybe the book was starting to get a little stale and, um, you know they have some of their, their their stories differ a little bit in some ways, but eventually they felt like the best way to kind of shake things up was uh, what they came up with 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 the um, the death of Gwen Stacy, which is a very you know obviously one of the most important storylines ever uh, in Spider-Man history and very interesting today because it you know now um, the idea of like killing the hero's girlfriend has become such a cliche like there's you know it has like its own name of like you know fridging and yeah it's it's like it is it's such like the most hired uh and kind of hackneyed cliche well when they did that it didn't that didn't exist like that was the first time it was done and it really you know set the book apart in a lot of ways and talking to Jerry Conway about it one of the things that it really made me think about was just how like of all the you know they've tr- I guess they've sort of you know I don't wouldn't say undone the storyline but they've you know that Gwen Stacy has had clones which was yeah. another thing that Jerry Conway brought to the book maybe not in a calendar year but uh, not no, long but that's a, that. that's
0: around 150 or so where they right. have the clones and you know peter uh, is convinced that he doesn't need to see dr connor's lab results because he's like "Nah, i'm not the clone i know i'm the real me and then <laughs> what is it that that's a period when i was reading in spectacular when they're like oh yeah no actually you are the clone uh, ben riley's uh been uh, spider-man the whole time but yeah so he, but and he was on for quite a while jerry was as far as is my understanding so yeah he was able to you just so much of the storytelling that followed him him, it's not even derivative of it. It's just more inspired by what he did when he was on the book. And sure, you give all the, the credit to, to Stan, Steve, and Ramita, but just the fact that he kept the character going in such a strong way throughout the 70s, it, it's just impressive when you read those stories, you know?
1: Yeah, and I think it's worth mentioning if people aren't too familiar with him, that when he started writing Spider-Man comics, he was like 19 years old, right. which is unbelievable. I mean, he basically was Spider-Man's age at the time. <laughs> and so one of the things that's fun about his books is they they really feel now, they're now uh, 40 years later or whatever, they, they're certainly kind of caught in the trappings of their era a little bit. But the, the 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 teenageness of them is something that's really kind of nice. And when I talked to him, he had, he had joked because just a few years ago, he came back and wrote the uh, Spider-Man Renew Your Vows series, which was a really cool book. That was sort of an alternate timeline where uh, Peter Parker, Mary Jane stayed married, and they had a daughter, and they all kind of uh, are superheroes together. And right. it's a really fun book, uh, especially if you have a daughter and you love Spider-Man. It's like a really cool book to share with a with a daughter. But he was saying, you know, he's the youngest guy who ever wrote Spider-Man. And he's now like almost basically the oldest guy (laughs) to write Spider-Man because he's done it like over the course of 40, 50 years. And he said he doesn't think anyone will ever challenge him for that title because nobody else is going to get to write Spider-Man when they're 19 years old. You know, they might – You know, other people will write Spider-Man when they're in their 60s and their 70s and whatever. But the the idea of a 19-year-old writing the biggest comic book in the world is – insane now to think of it would never yeah,
0: and, happen now. and you know Jim Shooter I think started writing when he was like 15 or 16 first for DC yep. and you just you hear yep. those stories and you just think like how does that even happen you know I mean and then also I'm like I know I know the stories I was writing when I was 14 and uh I, I you know I, there's a reason I never showed them to anybody but uh, <laughs> to just think about you know how prolific these uh, these guys were um we, we we don't have that much time left I'm realizing and I really want to make sure we talk about just this great rogues gallery of spider-man villains and just the you know it's kind of epitomized for me with amazing spider-man annual number one which is when the sinister six get together and like well we can't beat them by ourselves why don't we? Why don't just the six of us try and beat the snot out of him? And you know, you just start to think like, why doesn't that happen more often? You know, where they're just like, well, I don't know why he's always beating us, but what if we just outnumber him? Uh, but some of those characters, you know, the the iconic Spider-Man villains, some that we've seen in movies and in on, on animated series as well. Uh, who stands out to you? Is the Green Goblin for you like, well, that's the definitive Spider-Man villain? Or does somebody else really stand out as as somebody who surprised you that maybe looms larger in his life?
1: Uh, You know, it's funny. Before I wrote the book, I would have definitely said Green Goblin. Uh, Having written the book and and reread so much, I really think now more that uh, Dr. Octopus is like the definitive. Like if you can only have one yeah. and I, it would be Dr. Octopus. Well, just he did. He he's did such
0: a, yeah, he tried to marry uh, Aunt May and then he also, uh, right. you know, in, in more recent years, ends up in, in Peter's mind. So, you know, that's yes. something to be said yeah. for that.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's just such a perfect foil because he is kind of like this, the ultimate kind of dark version of Spider-Man. His origin is so similar um, and his it's just that his sort of, you know, I think something that later writers would fill in is sort of having this much darker, harsher upbringing than Peter Parker. It's like without an Aunt, Be- Aunt May and an Uncle Ben in his life, what would Peter Parker have turned into? Well, it might have been something like Dr. Octopus. And um, yeah, all this stuff recently where he became Spider-Man, um, I love those issues. I love the idea of Spider-Man, who is maybe the most inspirational superhero being so inspirational a figure that he actually inspires his own yeah. arch nemesis to do good I think is the just a beautiful kind of poetic concept and uh, I love the idea of um, Spider-Man's goodness like infecting Dr. Octopus so that he's still Dr. Octopus yeah. but he's like he 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 gets this new sort of moral perspective on things, um, and then even after he kind of returned to uh, villainy—I I don't know why I have to say it like that. Well, but it's, you have to you villainy, have to you
0: have to sound uh, like Otto Octavius when you say it. I I completely yeah, understand. Uh, yeah,
1: that even after he kind of uh, he he returned to supervillainy, he like he like couldn't he couldn't put down uh, Spider-Man's kind of the lessons that he learned yeah. as, as Spider-Man, which is I think again it's just such a kind of beautiful, um, again, almost poetic idea that, um, for me, when you, you look over the whole scope of things, I gotta, I gotta give the, the, the nod to Doc Octopus, especially because, you know, there was so long where Green Goblin was quote unquote dead in the comics. And you, Dr. Octopus has been so kind of consistently yeah. involved throughout, th- throughout all of those 57 years. Right.
0: And when, and when Harry's a Green Goblin, it's not the same feeling, you know, I mean, that, that stretch where Norman Osborn knows that Peter Parker is Spider-Man like that's that's the sweet spot for it but it's so short-lived no pun intended again because he he does end up dying in in 122 and you know speaking of the Superior Spider-Man because the show that we're talking on is Marvel TV Weekly it is worth noting that the current animated series Marvel Spider-Man which is on Disney XD they're doing a multi part uh, Superior Spider-Man storyline like literally right now they I think that it's winding up in the next week or so and uh, it's been fun to kind of see them you know it's tailor made for a slightly younger audience but I mean it's probably for like tween slash teenagers so it's it's kind of a fun series and uh, Dan Slott's a supervisor on it so I, I think that They, uh, you know, it's definitely for kids, but it's cool to kind of see these, these things brought to the, to the screen. Did you look at Spidey and other media at all? Because like there was the nineties animated series, which was, you know, fairly true to the books. And of course the classic sixties series, or did you just strictly stick to the comics?
1: The book is strictly about the comics. Right. That was sort of the, uh, the the marching orders. I would sure. love to write a, write another book all yeah. about all of those other things you mentioned. I uh, In terms of, have I looked at them? Yes, I've looked at all of them over, you know, 38 yeah. years of my life, um, and uh, I love a lot of them. So, uh, you know, and we you, I don't know if you mentioned, like, Spider-Man video games is another, yeah. like, amazing kind of component of it. He translates incredibly well uh, across Every medium, I don't think I've, I mean, there are some that are better, better than others, but I, I haven't, I haven't ever really seen anything where I was like, well, this doesn't work. Spider-Man just doesn't work as a, a blank, well, pretty much whatever it is.
0: Yeah. Um, I I think the the live action 70s series uh didn't work but that was for an aesthetic for you know basically network television in the 70s and budget limitations you know I I, I,
1: yeah there were limitations there yes uh but you know I I I even rewatched some of those recently and they don't they're not all that terrible and and Nicholas Hammond's a pretty good Spider-Man actually I I enjoy him and um, you could see the seed of a show that, you know, with better, a better budget, better technology, that it could have actually worked uh, pretty well.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think, it, you know, a show like The Incredible Hulk, it's easier to do with budget limitations because it's like, well, he's just not going to fight supervillains. He's just going to wander from town to town and he's he's going to be Bill Bixby for most of the episode, you know. And, uh, I, I, you know, I think that just uh, Spidey didn't work like that, you know, uh, whereas, you know, the Wonder Woman show of the same era, you know, certain characters I think uh, are are better for that. You know, there's a reason that there wasn't a, you know, like a live action Batman at that time, because, uh, you know, it's just uh, what the, what the money wasn't there. Uh, So as we kind of look to the future, what do you, what would you personally like to see? This isn't like a prediction. What would you like to see having spent all this time in Spider-Man's history? Is there anything that you think it would be fun to see, you know, uh, Spider-Man as Sorcerer Supreme, Spider-Man as an agent of Hydra, you know, a double agent Spider-Man. Is there something that you're like, oh, you know, I've thought of the thing that they haven't done <laughs> despite 57 years and, you know, thousands and thousands of issues. Is there something that you'd like to see in the future?
1: Uh, the one thing that just comes to mind off the top of my head is I really uh, loved all of the new uh, variations of Spider-Man. They've introduced with uh, Spider-Verse and Spider-Again yeah. and all of these these big crossovers that they've been doing lately. While I, I love Peter Parker uh, and, you know, he's my favorite from childhood and I think that there's still plenty more stories you could tell with him. I've, I've loved all of these, seeing sort of how transmutable and how flexible the concept is and how you can put all of these different characters uh, into that, universe and i even i just love when they do weird characters you know almost like you know kind of jokingly you know like there was the aunt may who got spider powers who was spider <laughs> ma'am and there was right. the spiders man who was lots of little actual spiders <laughs> who somehow convinced themselves that they wow. were like a sentient <laughs> body and so it was like a pile of spiders that yeah. just looked a person so to me it's like i hope they keep doing that i would love to see another one of those crazy crossovers and i think they just started a new monthly spider-verse series that i haven't read yet but to me it's like i i think it's so cool that they keep uh kind of seeing how far they can push the like what how much how can much can you take out of spider-man and have it still be Uh, spider-man i think that is so fun and so to me it's like I would love to just keep seeing them invent more new weird uh, alternate variations of, of, of Spider-Man um, that, that would be the number one thing I would most yeah. enjoy seeing.
0: Right which I think it's great when you have the Spider-Verse concept you know in comics but also in the movie and just Having read so much in the era that I did, the fact that they had Spider Ham in the movie, I was like yeah that's that that's who I want to see more than anybody yep. He's like, just go crazy, and yeah I think i'm I'm with you, I like when there's Peter. And then it, it, you know, the, the current series that I'm referencing, the Disney XD, there's, uh, you have Peter, you have Miles, uh, you also have Gwen, you know, you have a few people with spider powers. And I'm like, oh, I like that dynamic because when Peter's not there, I'm like, oh, Miles is great, but man, I miss Peter though, you know? So I, I think uh, I think it's great when they find a way to have multiple Spider-Mans and even Spider-Men, I suppose, uh, even when it is, you know, through multiple, you know, multiverses, multiple dimensions and things. Um, the final thing, and I, because I only touched on it briefly, when you were going through the history, what was the impact on Todd McFarlane taking over the art duty on amazing spider-man with 298 and then getting his own book you know sort of looking back on that because now it's been like i think 30 years since he first drew an issue uh where how how does how do those stories hold up in comparison and what do you think the impact was on the legacy maybe just in the near the you know the the immediate future after that uh on through today
1: well, I mean, he certainly he made an impact and had a, had a legacy. I mean, you can uh, – it doesn't take – you know, one of the interesting things to do um, researching this book was, you know, reading those issues was to, like, look at what a Spider-Man comic looked like, yeah. you know, a month or two months before he started. And then looking at what they all looked like a few months later after he had started, not just in his book but in, but in the other books. And things like, you know, the way that the look of Spider-Man's webbing changed.
0: Yeah, where that's true.
1: throughout you know, 30 years before he had drawn the book. It was always just kind of these straight lines with little lines inside. And he made the webbing, you know, like he basically made it part of the uh, like panel layouts and artwork, you know, there were panels that were bordered by webbing and the webbing was so intricate with like lines and lines coming around the lines. And that almost became like the de facto way that everyone drew it uh, from that point forward. And it's almost like a way you can kind of demarcate Um, eras in Spider-Man just by looking at sort of how the webbing is drawn, uh, how the eyes on the face are drawn, the 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 physicality of the character Uh, from an art artistic standpoint. I mean, it all he brought all of this, you know, like dynamism and energy that just a few months earlier is just not there in the book, even when the books are good, even when the artwork is beautiful, like he definitely brought something new and fresh to the series. And yeah, there were some, There you know, obviously there were some people that kind of aped his style or took some of the elements of it yeah. and brought it into their work. But um, yeah, but I, think, real- I think
0: when you're an artist like Eric Larson and you take over after McFarlane, there's a little bit of pressure of like, you know, we want people to keep buying this, you know, and... Uh, I think he's a great artist. I'm not trying to sell him short. It's just that's just the fact that it it looked kind of similar, and i I think that 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 was by design, and I think as time went on, they were like, But you're absolutely right. the web as you we started talking, the webbing was the thing that I was going to reference because it looked different you know what did it look like before McFarlane? what did it look like after him? And I think that you know just the again, it's the the same era of comic book collecting that I'm talking about. The same thing happened in the mutant books just the idea of like oh we can sell more copies of this we can have people buy more than one if we change the covers if we put it in a bag and we do all of this and i was like yeah but what what about what's inside is it good and i i won't put you on the spot but spider-man number one the the fourth series the todd McFarlane series it, it looked great but man there was there there was like nothing to read in that. That was this is one of the worst stories I've ever read and this is me talking. I'm not putting any pressure on you, Matt. But and and just like you know, I was just like, "Oh, that yeah, he's he's a great artist and I think he went on to to write great stuff in Spawn, but it was just like oh yeah, that's not what Spider-Man should be. Like the story should should be great and they should also look good. And I think for the majority of the run and probably what you looked at, you probably saw that usually the stories and the art are firing on all cylinders. Right.
1: Yeah, I think his his um his legacy on Spider Man is much more as an artist than a writer. Yeah. I think I don't think anyone would argue that. I don't think he would argue that. I hope um, not. <laughs> uh, and and but but I mean I I don't think you should. But I mean that said, like you know his stuff on on the on the adjectiveless Spider Man book. You know he was writing to his art basically, and 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 to his strengths as an artist essentially. So there's sort of art first books. Story second, I would say. Um, and then, in terms of someone like Eric Larson, yeah, there's certainly some similarities in their styles. But, like, even I would, I mean, even, um, you know, a character like Venom would yeah. not be sort of who he is without, I mean, Eric Larson really, um, I would say, uh, like, kind of maybe like in some ways might be like the definitive Venom artist, even more than uh, Todd McFarlane, who, uh, you know, obviously created the look of the character. Like, everything about Venom became more venomy. Yeah. Uh, with with Eric Larson and there's a lot of Eric Larson Venom in the book actually because I just love his right. Venom with the crazy jaw and the and, weird green goo coming out of his yeah. mouth and, and we didn't and we didn't we didn't have uh, Carnage
0: and we didn't have Carnage until uh, Eric Larson as well you know so I think that the the Venom that gets turned into a major blockbuster of of course the, the design the teeth that comes from McFarlane but the just really starting to really figure out who the character is in this universe that he's and uh obviously you know uh, uh sorry uh, Larson is a big part of that um you know we uh we've talked for almost an hour and uh you know it wouldn't be too hard to to speak for much more than that uh the the final thing i want to give you a chance to do is to uh give credit to uh andrew robinson uh who did the cover for the book he also is the artist for friendly neighborhood spider-man is that another one of those things where you said hey do you want to draw the cover or did you know him or how did that come about
1: that was uh, the, the the publisher gets all the, the credit for that. I didn't have anything to do with that. They oh, uh, reached out to him and got him to 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 paint the cover. And yeah, yeah I agree, it's absolutely uh, gorgeous. I mean, a lot of people when I sh- when they uh, see the book, they're like, "Wow, the cover is uh, amazing." No pun intended. And um, <laughs> right. he was. I got to meet him at uh, New York Comic Con just uh, I guess a week or two ago. Yeah and the uh he had the original like the actual painting oh, wow. there and um it was even more beautiful uh in person where you could see the just the detail of of the artwork uh and um it was a ama- it was incredible to look at um uh, as an actual painting, I would have loved to. Uh, I would have loved to have uh, figured out a way to steal that. But um, yeah. as a, as a book cover, it's uh, it's not too shabby as well. It's a it's a beautiful cover. Yeah, he did it, and his he's doing the covers on Friendly Neighborhood Spider Man, and he's there amazing as well so yeah, yeah we were very very lucky to have him do the cover yeah
0: there's 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 uh you know the the main spider-man books you know uh, amazing and friendly neighborhood that are out right now the uh you know the artwork inside is is great but there you, you know just you look at the covers on some of them and uh yeah friendly neighborhood uh, really stands out and the book we're speaking about of course is marvel spider-man from amazing to spectacular the definitive comic art collection by our guest uh matt singer who you can follow on twitter at matt singer and uh, I understand that uh, the book was ranked number one in a very specific category <laughs> on Amazon. I saw this on your Twitter. It's number yeah. one, in, and this is a quote from you, in the highly coveted historical and biographical fiction graphic novels category. But hey, yeah. you beat out another Marvel book and two Spider-Man books because I you can click through to see what the others are. Right. So, yes. you know, that, you can hang your hat on that a little bit. And uh, so yeah, and the, the book is... Uh, well, it's available on you know all of your online retailers. And uh, I've noticed that on Twitter, you'll also let people know places they can find it a little cheaper. So at Matt Singer for that kind of insight. Matt, thank you so much for uh, joining us. I really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we uh, have a chance to uh, speak again uh, sometime in the near future. As I said, you're on Twitter at Matt Singer. Thanks again for uh, taking the time to talk to us.
1: My pleasure. It was a lot of fun.
0: And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Christian DMZ. And next week on Marvel TV Weekly, uh, you'll see Zia Anderson and myself at The Void for the Avengers Damage Control VR experience. We got to go into that. We won't give away too many of the spoilers, but we got to speak to some of the creators. So uh, tune in for that, and uh, we'll show that to you next week. But that's all the time we have for now. So as the great Stan Lee would say, Excelsior!